0: Before we get started today, I'd like to talk about our new Buy Me A Coffee memberships. Now, you can offer 1-5 to coffees to our staff every month and that gets you exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind the scenes content, the ability to ask us questions directly as well as a special shout out here on the podcast. And today I want to thank our members on Buy Me A Coffee. Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffren, and Anna Lund. The list has been growing, thank you all. You too should join them and support independent journalism. Head to Buy Me a Coffee and subscribe and starting next week you can hear your name on Explaining Brazil. And if you can't support us on a monthly basis, you can still tip us a coffee to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil. Head to buymeacoffee.com slash brazilianreport to find out more. This Sunday, May 29th, Colombians will go to the polls for the first round of their long-awaited presidential election. Left-wing candidate Gustavo Petro has been the frontrunner for most of the campaign in what could mark a massive shift in the country's electoral politics. Me
1: llamo Gustavo Petro y quiero ser su presidente! Viva Colombia! Viva!
0: But as we approach election day, the latest polls suggest that the race is far from over and there is a potential for a few surprises on Sunday evening. One populist outsider has gained ground among the electorate and might just be in with a chance of winning it if he makes it to the runoff. I'm Ewan Marshall, editor of the Brazilian Report and filling in for editor-in-chief Gustavo Ribeiro and this is Explaining Brazil. To discuss the latest developments on the home stretch of the Colombian election campaign, we're joined by the Brazilian Report's Latin American correspondent, Ignacio Portes. Ignacio, you've taken the lead in our Colombia coverage of late, and you've published several website articles on Gustavo Petro. So tell our listeners a little bit about who he is and where he comes from.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Iwan. Well, Petro is a, a left wing intellectual, I, I would say. That's the best way to sum him up. He he has been part of Colombian politics for a lot of years, for many decades, and he was very young, uh, since his teenage years, really. He was a uh, uh, sympathizer of the, of the Colombian left, which was in a, a little bit working underground at the time, uh, after uh, a series of uh, controversies around fraud and uh, escalation of violence had led uh, to to the creation of of armed movements in the in the left and Petro was part of of those armed movements uh, during his youth but not as a combatant really although he probably had some basic weapons training and, some, and stuff like that but he was really an intellectual and a and a guy who went uh, through the poor neighborhoods to um, organize their bases and stuff like that and maybe take some local decisions um uh, and eventually uh the colombian left start st- some sectors of the colombian left started making peace deals with the state uh, and petro was part of that process in the late 80s uh he was part of the of the factions that decided to demobilize early and and found uh, some kind of arrangement uh with the state after after years of conflict of i mean ter- uh, petro was jailed he was tortured he he was part of 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 uh, the of organizations that uh, were in deep conflicts with the state and 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 were like you could see on, on TV that some of the of the most scandalous um, takeovers of the city center of 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 Bogota of which the left was part with many deaths many a lot of tragedy during the Colombian eighties but he was part of like the end of that process. And the start of the first one of the first attempts of, at peace in Colombia and the writing of a new constitution and so on. And since then, he has been uh, like one of the leading faces of, of this of this building of a social democracy in in Colombia uh, with uh, with uh, with an attempt to try to bring the left to power through through democratic means uh, for the first time, really, in the history of the country.
0: Yeah, and one thing you've consistently pointed out is that Colombia has alternated between liberal and conservative governments and that goes all the way back to the 19th century. So with Petro leading the way, this could be the first ever administration from the political left to rule Colombia. And, you know, with the country's kind of turbulent and often violent history, what kind of change could we be expecting?
1: Yeah well yeah th- th- there has been some you could say center left maybe governments in the history of Colombia in in the 90s maybe the Samper government was a bit social democratic although he was part of the liberal party um but yeah you haven't seen really um uh, uh, any any guy with this profile of a more typical leftist uh or with a radical leftist background like like Petro even though he's a bit more moderate now clearly um the pattern throughout Colombia's history has been that liberals and conservatives joined forces, especially in the, in the second half of the 20th century, after, after a lot of years of competing between them, sometimes very violently in the 19th century and in the early 20th century. Then they joined forces against the left during the Cold War first. And then during the when Colombia, uh, the, the drug question was introduced in Colombia, the drug business. Uh, and the left was uh, associated sometimes with the drug business and sometimes with the violence of the guerrillas the the liberals and conservatives were um the, the the system really that that tried to to marginalize uh the left there uh, even though really everyone had <laughs> had ties to the the drug business and um, but uh, w- what would change here is that um The the duopoly uh, is is being challenged, really from left and right, as as we will see. uh, But we we are seeing, we're probably going to see. There's a high likelihood, likelihood that we will see uh, a a government that will start from scratch and that will have uh, kind of like Chile, really, uh, 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 a a new a new political class. If if Petro gets uh, into power that we'll have to 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 understand how to to rule a nation uh, without the typical structures that Colombia's political party have, uh, that, from Colombia's political parties that have typically ruled it uh, through its history.
0: And why do you think we're seeing this kind of potential left-wing turn now? What's changed?
1: It's hard to tell, uh, really. Um, I mean, like, like I was saying, you, you can do some comparis- comparisons with Chile, uh, there have been mobilizations after many years of uh, decidedly right-wing governments. Like the, in the last 20 years, I would say that the establishment in Colombia is a right-wing establishment, clearly. The, the more centrist alternatives have been um, uh, not so prominent uh, lately, and and uh, Uribe and the uh, and, uh, the right, the right-wing figures around him have been the, the the face of power, really. So the discontent is more likely to to be channeled through the left. Uh, so in in what what we saw in the last few years is that uh, student mobilizations became more prominent. Sometimes those student mobilizations were repressed violently by the state, uh, with many deaths, uh, often and and the um, human rights abuses of the of the. Of the Uribe people have been more publicized in, in TV and in the in newspapers. There's a lot of um, it, maybe not in the in the among the most prominent politicians, but in the in the in the local regions, there's a lot of political murders still in Colombia, and and the the government is often blamed for them. And there's a lot of it's a very unequal country that has seen a lot of growth, really many years of consecutive growth, just like Chile but there's a the question of income distribution of poverty of uh, public services of social aid especially during the pandemic uh, and after the pandemic uh, so that, that kind of discontent has been channeled through the left lately and this has given petro an opportunity after after trying several times to to take on the presidency this time he comes uh, as the favorite uh, unlike uh, in previous times where he has run for president. Ni todos los fusiles juntos que hay en Colombia, legales e ilegales, podrían cambiar la historia de Colombia como si lo puede cambiar.
0: And of course, yeah, so the race hasn't sewn up just yet, and, you know, a runoff certainly looks possible. So who are Petro's main rivals for the election?
1: There are a few, but I would um summarize it with two figures, which are Fico Gutiérrez and Rodolfo Hernández. Uh, fico is uh, uh, a, a more typical guy uh, of the of the more establishment right in Colombia closer to 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 the people that have governed in the last 20 years and Hernandez is more of an outsider uh, that uh, kind of imitates the the, the, the kind of populist style that we, populist right-wing style that we've seen become like a, uh, like there, there has been a, bl- a blueprint in the last few years, right, for this kind of right-wing populist uh, candidates to challenge the statu quo from the right instead of from the left. And so he has kind of reason at the same time as, as Petro, as a challenger to the system, too.
0: So I would say those are the
1: two guys which should focus the most uh, as alternatives to, to Petro.
0: And so what's the latest from the polls? I mean, we know Petro's in the lead, but how big is that lead at the moment? And if it does go to a runoff, who is he most likely to face off against?
1: Petro has been in the lead for most of the race for, for months, really. He was, at, at, the, at the beginning of the race, the only confirmed candidate. So for, like, since last year, you could see any polls uh, uh, published in newspapers giving Petro Twenty, thirty percent of the vote intention, and any, and the, the guy in second had five or six or seven. But now we have a more consolidated picture of who will run, and the primaries have already passed. And Petro has been polling in the thirties, sometimes in the forties. Uh, and uh, this guy Rodolfo Fernandez was second for at for some time, but afterwards, uh, when Gutierrez won his primary, he became second. He uh, he surpassed him in second place. But now we're seeing kind of a, la- a late surge from, from Hernandez, the, the more populist guy, against Gutierrez, uh, challenging him for for the, the spot in the runoff, which is, seem, does seem to be the most likely scenario, is that there will be a runoff. But the question is, will it be Petro against Gutierrez, or will it be Petro against Hernandez? And uh, so that's what we're going to see on Sunday. And uh, everyone expected Gutierrez until recently, and uh, even the Petro campaign expected Gutierrez and was pretty confident that they could beat Gutierrez in a runoff. But now Hernández is very, very close to Gutierrez in the race for second place. And it's not so sure that Petro would beat the, a populist figure like Hernández that has been rising and that, has more, uh, that is more fresh and has more potential uh, than, than Gutierrez maybe in in an eventual second round.
0: And what else do we know about Rodolfo Hernández? I mean, you've said that he kind of follows the blueprint of right-wing populism, but you know, how similar is he to, let's say, Donald Trump or Jair Bolsonaro for example?
1: Well, there there are some similarities with with Trump maybe. Uh, maybe the a guy that fits uh the 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 bill as a comparison also is Parisi, the the populist guy from Chile who came third and who was a bit also hard to to pin down uh, as to what kind of guy he was, but he he was against the political establishment and calling for less public spending in in, in political uh, stuff and less um, less waste in the state and and less taxes. And but he was very popular with uh, with the people that were very far from politics, like with the ordinary Colombian. He could uh, uh, rally them far away from the, the view of the press and, and what the the people that are more insiders can see uh, he kind of surprises them with uh, with uh, with his rhetoric and that th- and that kind of stuff um his his debating style sometimes reminds me of Trump that that's a, a comparison that that I can see he is you, you know those uh, those primaries in which Trump uh, was facing the other Republican contenders and, and, and uh, you could see that Trump had a very different style, and that he all co- was constantly challenging the other guys from the right, from the Republican primary, uh, and uh, using a very different uh, approach and a different language. Uh, even this guy dresses differently. Uh, he's older, he's very old, also like Trump. Um, and, and he doesn't seem so um, prepackaged, he seems more spontaneous. And uh, he goes really hard after some of the other right wing guys. He's not so polite in debates. He goes after, after Fico very hard. And after everyone, they, he accuses everyone of being part of this many years of Colombia, uh, of, the, of the same model in Colombia that has not been successful for many people and so on. So, yeah, I would say Trump and Paris are the guys
0: he, he reminds me the most. So let's say Petro makes it through and wins the election. Now, beyond the obvious ideological shift, what other changes would he bring to the table? I mean, what's in his manifesto? What does his economic platform look like and you know, his foreign policy ideas?
1: Well, economically, we, we, we published an article recently in the Brazilian Report, uh, which uh, speaks about, well, also some similarities with, with Chile, really, uh, how he, his, his platform speaks, speaks of raising taxes, to spend more on social security and social services. That's very similar to what we we saw from Boric during his, his campaign. Um, he wants to increase personal taxes and corporate taxes. Uh, he's also questioning the, uh, the country's um, extractive industries, You know, just like Boric uh, and Boris is really the broader uh, Chilean left questions the mining business in Colombia and its impact on the environment. Petro questions the oil industry in Colombia and its its impact on global warming. Uh, he wants to really outright ban, although like progressively and slowly, but he wants to ban further exploration of oil in Colombia, which is very central to the economic activity of the of the country. It's like a very important part of exports. Um, which uh, for a country that has a big deficit in its, it, uh, a very like, systematic deficit in its balance of payments in the difference between exports and imports. Um, exporting oil is very important. and It's actually oil that has been more or less keeping the country afloat lately with, you know, the rising oil prices that we have seen globally. It has kind of kept uh, the, the current administration afloat um, during its last few months after uh, a period of... Uh, of crisis in the in the previous couple of years so petro is promising that okay we won't explore for oil anymore uh, and we will also make some quite um, radical changes in the way the 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 country taxes uh, it 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 wants to have a, like it, it's the oecd standard of taxing as a, as a desirable place to go like more european kind of taxation with uh, instead of the latin american average uh, for taxes and uh and use that to, to for for programs right uh, for increased pension services, uh, uh, social um, uh, like un- unemployment, the basic income that that kind of of programs are very prominent in in his program and, and, and a social security reform too, but not in the sense of cutting social security but more in the sense like um, shifting private resources to the to the public sector to to distribute them in a different way. And uh, on and foreign policy, well, the question there would be would the country change its typical alliance with the United States? Uh, Colombia has been one of the closest allies of the U.S. Uh, in Latin America, really, for for decades now. And so that's potentially a change. This uh, guy comes from, from the left. The left is at the moment questioning uh, U.S. hegemony a little bit, as we have seen uh, With Trump and with Biden, really, and uh, especially now that uh, a lot of that that some left-wing governments have regained power in Latin America, we are seeing some challenges from from Mexico, from uh, uh, well, even from some even from some countries in the right too. They have questioned the United States, so so probably Petro could join a little bit. That it, it remains to be seen up to what degree because Colombia, this alliance is like very structural to Colombia. And the other thing I would mention is uh, the relationship with the military. Right, uh, Petro has a long history of um, mistrust with the military, with the, the with the paramilitary too. In Colombia, it has investigated them. It, he has uh, accused them of crimes and wrongdoing uh, of wrongdoings. Uh, he has lately had a spat with the chief of the military in accusing him of. Not him personally, but the military in general of collaborating with drug cartels. Um, so, and and the military has answered and has been, uh, despite the restrictions uh, against political participation of the military in Colombia, the military has gotten a little bit involved in the campaign, questioning Petro, uh, questioning uh, like his potential more Venezuelan-like ideas and the like. So. I would say all of those fronts are potential fronts of conflict and change, Uh, uh, the relationship with the military, the alliance with the United States, and uh, the typical economic model that we have seen uh, during the last few years in Colombia uh, during yeah, this last 20 years of of more right-wing administrations in the country.
0: So we've pointed out throughout the show that Colombia has kind of rotated between these governments of the political establishment. And if we look at the last 20 years in particular, these administrations have largely been led by the right wing figurehead, Alvaro Uribe, who you mentioned earlier. So he's governed for two terms between 2002 and 2010 and had a huge influence on the most recent governments in Colombia. So, you know, first, I think it's useful for our listeners if you just tell us a little bit about Uribe's importance to Colombian politics and give us an idea of, you know, what kind of platforms he championed and how that could change now if the country does in fact shift to a left wing president
1: yes yeah, so uribe has been clearly the most i mean yeah the most important figure of of colombian politics since the turn of the century really uh, he he not only was uh, the president uh, for eight of the of the of the last 20 years but uh, he has also been like the dominant figure behind the scenes uh, when he wasn't president um he, he rose to power during during the during the turn of the century after after a very turbulent period in, in Colombia one of these very violent periods that that Colombian politics uh, has often had throughout the 20th century uh the country under Pastrana, the, the previous uh, conservative president was turning very violent the, the conflict with the FARC the left-wing guerrillas had um sparked up again uh the the state and the and the and the left wing arm armed groups couldn't really do a deal that everyone trusted and there was always this this moments in which they they agreed to to a peace deal but then people started getting killed when they when they surfaced back and tried to get into regular politics so armed struggle returned and everyone got associated with drug barons again and uh there were, and there we had new rounds of kidnappings, of, of violence in the streets, and everything turned uh, very unpredictable. Colombia had one of the highest homicide rates in the world, not just in Latin America but in the world. Uh, I remember specifically in during the, uh, in the turn of the century that the the Copa America, that in, in the football Copa America that Colombia was organizing, almost got suspended uh, after a, a round of kidnappings that included, uh, I think, some some. Uh, some football politicians uh, like the, 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 the country was not seen as safe even to, to organize football. Really at the time, Argentina boycotted the tournament um, although it was played in the end, but like uh, the country was like, the, even the most basic things uh, didn't work. People felt they could be kidnapped at any time. Cities were very unsafe, not just the countryside, which is the place where it's more typical to see conflict in the countryside in Colombia uh, because the, the guerrillas hide there, the, the paramilitaries hide there, the drug traffickers hide there, but in the city it was getting very violent again. And Uribe emerges as this figure that uh, uh, organizes the right around it uh, and uh, offers this very hard approach towards guerrillas and towards crime. And crime goes down under, under Uribe. And the economy does pretty well. He starts a period of of consistent growth. Colombia didn't have a recession uh, even during the two thousand eight two thousand nine recession, which which got many many countries off sides. Uh, Colombia more or less held to a uh, to a uh, to a sliver of growth during those years, and it only had a, its first recession during COVID in twenty twenty. Uh, even though I, it accumulated macroeconomic problems like debt and deficits, but but more or less they could uh, show that there was consistent growth and stability. Uribe became this popular right-wing figure that uh, was like the face of order and uh, and, uh, and a country that was no longer in chaos and that you could walk the streets more or less freely, like a, like in an average Latin American country and not in in the in the most violent uh, Latin American country. Uh, yeah that existed so so Uribe gained his prestige like that and was even when he wasn't in power like during uh, the years of santos or the years of of, of duque uh, he was the the more the, the, the man behind the court and really uh, uh calling the shots he was very instrumental in the in the in the during the last peace peace agreement within the between the farc and uh, and the state uh just a few years ago, uh, uh, there, there was a first peace agreement uh, between the government of Santos and and, uh, and the FARC. And Uribe said, "No, I don't like this agreement. Uh, that San- Santos is being is becoming too weak. So I will uh, I-, I will boycott this that, this uh, this uh, this, uh, this peace agreement. And and in, he bo- he started a, a campaign on his own, really, against everyone, against his allies on the right, against the left, against everyone to to, in the referendum to vote uh, against the, what, what had been signed uh, and he won like by himself he boycotted the first agreement and they had to sign a new one more with less concessions to the to the guerrillas. Uh, so he has been the decisive factor but he is losing power. he is losing influence he couldn't impose a candidate uh, during this last election. so the, the, there is a waning figure. He has been accused of many corruption cases. Porque Petro has nailed him down in many. He has been like, kind of his counterfigure no has been politico. Petro in the last few years. Porque son rateros y asesinos con el poder. And uh, he has been involved in many uh, conflicts with justice and, and the like. So he has been in, in muddy waters lately. And uh, so it, it's, the power in Colombia is kind of up for grabs now. A little bit.
0: And as we alluded to earlier, the military is an important if controversial force in Colombia. So, I mean, how would you describe the relationship between the country's right-wing governments and the armed forces?
1: Well, they have been very tight, uh, and, and part of the of the accusations against Uribe is due to his relationship with the military and with the paramilitary in Colombia. Um, much of Petro's challenge against uh, Uribe and Uribe's guys has been uh, not just the economy, but uh, the the crimes of the paramilitary and the crimes of the military, all these false positives, as they call them, which is um, the, the both military and paramilitary crimes against uh, people that are not involved at all in the conflict or that maybe are involved, but are not fighting at the time, just, you know, uh, extrajudicial killings, that kind of thing uh there's this is a very common occurrence in Colombia a typical human rights violation that that um, NGOs denounce and that uh, politicians have denounced for years and that i mean Colombia has been taken to trial internationally in 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 a couple of of courts uh, over this issue it's a very big issue in Colombia so uribe has been constantly questioned over this and, uh, like, it's, it's almost a tripartite relationship with, with the United States, too, right? Because they, they equipped them. Uribe has, uh, one of his decisions was, okay, we are going to have more personnel. We're going to give them better weapons. We're going to give them, you know, tanks, big weapons, money, uh, good, uh, you know, support of, of different kinds. And, and the, the deal with the U.S. has been instrumental with this in getting the weapons, in getting some subsidies, logistical help. Uh, um, satellite help, that kind of thing, uh, and uh, so it, it's been kind of uh, at the center of, of of what Uribe built in 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 Colombia. Has been this relationship with the, with a, a military that grew in power and and uh, and a geopolitical alliance to control the country against. Uh, any any kind of groups that that were involved in the violent conflict in the in the previous years.
0: And something which I find interesting about Uribe is that you know he was in charge during the so-called pink tide period, uh, as you mentioned earlier. Where this is the period where you had a number of South American countries that had elected left-leaning leaders, and you know some of these nations, particularly Venezuela and Bolivia, you know they became pretty antagonistic towards the U.S. But Uribe's Colombia seemed to be a bit of an island of perhaps US support at the time. So, I mean, how were the relations between Colombia and the US and, you know, how are they now?
1: Yeah, Colombia definitely was a a bit of an outsider. The Pacific countries were a bit uh, not so, not always aligned with the pink tide in Colombia, but there was a moment in which almost every country uh, in Latin America was under uh, left of center governments, uh, like uh, not necessarily Venezuela or Bolivia, but like, uh, uh, even no, no, you know, Bachelet in Chile is, was a social democrat, but and, and Cristina Fernandez uh, a bit more to the left in Argentina, and uh, in, in Ecuador there was Correa uh, and so on, and even Oshanta Humala in Peru who was came from the left, but even if he was, uh, he didn't make many drastic reforms. But uh, there was a point in which in which I, I think they felt a bit surrounded. But what we saw a little bit was uh, that. This guy. There were some, some differences between between Uribe and Santos during those uh, those those years in, in which the when the pink tide was at the stronger strongest during the early 2010s. Uh, Santos uh, was even supported by Petro in some very tactical things about uh, okay, let's make this peace deal with the FARC, right? right? As I was as I was saying, uh, let's make um, in the in international forums in Latin America, let's. Uh, okay, let's join forces. When the left condemns the coup against Honduras, let's um, uh, let's try to show a more moderate figure uh, in 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 some in some aspects. Santos was uh, like a bit rebellious against Uribe in that sense, but Uribe uh, eventually uh, struck back against Santos and said, "Hey, this is too soft for me. I <laughs> uh, we we cannot do a peace deal like this with the with the FARC." And uh, so they had a little bit of internal conflict within the right of how to position, uh, but, but definitely still they, they still were an outsider, but uh, they, they had some tribulations. And, and Petro kind of navigated that, uh, like uh, playing the factions against each other in, in the right uh, during during his, his rise to prominence in, in Colombia.
0: And of course, I mean, many will be aware of Colombia's violent past. You know, this decades-long conflict that has involved drugs and political assassinations and paramilitary groups on both the left and the right. But where does that conflict stand today, and how much is it affecting contemporary Colombian politics?
1: Well, I, I mean, the country is more peaceful than it was today. We see more. The, the typical, I mean, it's still violent. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Maybe I right, mean by Latin American standards and by Colombian standards, it is. Uh, You don't see this absolutely prominent assassinations that you saw all the time in the 80s and the 90s, uh, but it's still a very violent country. And as we saw uh, during the campaign, there were assassination threats against Petro. Uh, Petro called off part of his campaign because he had information about uh, some uh, paramilitary groups planning a, a murder plot against him. So, I mean, it's not a normal campaign by, by the standards of a, a European social democracy, right? It's, uh, it's still um, full of... Uh, uh, I, mean, I mean, there's still the phantom of also fraud, uh, and not necessarily fraud, but, but questions about the transparency of the system. There was all these irregularities during the primaries that many votes were counted very late. And not didn't appear in the first counter. That, that's the kind of thing that leads to violence, right? When you have an unclear election outcome, so it's not that like the the phantom, the specter of violence uh, has disappeared in Colombia, right? The, um, even in the in the closing rally of, oh, it, not the closing rally, but I think one of the closing rallies of 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 Petro, the, her her vice presidential candidate, uh, Francia, this black woman. Uh, Uh, which is also an interesting part of the campaign, the the prominence of of, uh, the black movement, the feminist movement in in Petro's campaign. But anyway, I digress. And um, she was pointed with a a laser, uh, one of these red lasers that is not, like like it can look like a weapon is being pointed at you, uh, but it it wasn't a weapon. But still the the fear is there, right? There was fear during the rally of what is happening exactly here, because it also happened a few days after the, Petro had to suspend his campaign in the in the Coffee Triangle area of Colombia due to this um, assassination threats that he thought were credible. So, uh, I mean, and there, there's even the the conflict in Haiti, right? That the murder of the Haitian president. There's former Colombian military involved there, uh, the retired Colombian military that through a very murky process that no one understands perfectly, they ended up in in. In Haiti, and they ended up murdering the acting president. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's clear. Uh, I mean, if you if you have an actor like that in the country, and you have uh, uh, people that that, that 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 think like that, that they're still with the mindset of 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 war, really more than of of peaceful politics. There's always this risk of violence that is there, right? Any controversy, any. Uh, like the, the 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 constant idea that that something like Venezuela could happen, that a, a massive crisis, or like the, that the economic reforms could go wrong, really wrong, like in Venezuela, or that that the, the democracy could be threatened or killed, like in Venezuela, that kind of thing is a kind of perfect fuel for for more conflict. So so that that threat is is constant, really, even though you don't see the day to day violence that you used to see in Colombia with uh, like in the late 80s there was one election with four presidential ca- candidates murdered you, you don't see stuff like that but uh, there are still political murders there, are, there is violence there are violent protests the protests uh, that that those left-wing protests that we were talking about asking for, for economic reforms had deaths had police repression uh, so uh, the, the, the drug cartels are still extremely powerful in Colombia so the threat of violence is still present in Colombia's politics hopefully we'll have a a peaceful end to this, to this election, but, but it's definitely something
0: that you should keep an eye on. Inácio, thank you very much, and we'll be sure to keep up with your Colombia coverage throughout the elections and the months afterwards. Thank you, and it's been a pleasure. If you like Explaining Brazil, please drop us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It only takes a second, and it'll help more people find out about the show. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, which is the journalistic engine behind this podcast and we offer a 7-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. And my name's Ewan Marshall, thanks for listening.